RT8K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Robert Kemp. Tonight's headlines. Elderly people are urged to stay at home as Hong Kong again sees a record high number of new COVID infections. There are calls for stricter rules for ship crews who are currently exempt from quarantine. And the judge clears three people of writing, saying the prosecution only had circumstantial evidence for its case. Health officials say the coronavirus situation in Hong Kong ha- is becoming uncontrollable, with 123 new infections today, another record high. All but eight patients are believed to have caught the virus while in the city. The authorities say they haven't been able to work out the source of infection for dozens of patients, while the rest are linked to previous cases. There are further infections linked to banquets in Mong Kok and Tumun, as well as an elderly care home in Taiwai. Dr. Tuan Shuk Kwan from the Centre for Health Protection says residents of the home are going to be moved to a quarantine facility. For the elderly home in Taiwai, uh, we pay a visit uh, to the place and we found that um, it's not suitable for on-site quarantine for the elderly residents. That's why uh, we plan to move those close contacts to a suitable place. As well as the new confirmed virus cases, preliminary tests on around another 100 people have also come back positive. The Hong Kong Seamen's Union is calling for stricter coronavirus control measures for sailors, saying the SAR is relatively lax compared to other places. The present crew members are tested when they arrive in the city, but they're only placed under medical surveillance rather than quarantine. Joan Wong reports. As Hong Kong struggles with a third wave of coronavirus infections, the spotlight has turned to the shipping industry. Several seamen have tested positive, leading to around 140 being quarantined on six vessels anchored off Lama. On an RTHK radio show, the chairman of the Hong Kong Seamen's Union, Cheng Sai Teng, agreed that there should be tighter coronavirus restrictions for sailors who, like air crews, are exempted from the 14 day quarantine rule. Earlier this month, the government brought in compulsory coronavirus tests for them. But Mr. Chang said other places have stricter rules for ship crews and Hong Kong should follow suit. Authorities have agreed to allow the city's main bus company to reduce their services due to a drop in passenger numbers amid the pandemic. KMB City Bus and New World First Bus have been told they can cut frequencies on more than 280 routes from Monday until August the 2nd. As long as the gap between services is no longer than 10 minutes more than usual. 17-year-old student and a couple who own a gym have been acquitted of rioting after they were arrested during clashes in Shenwan a year ago. The judge said the prosecution only had circumstantial evidence against the three and the presumption of innocence must be upheld. Francis Sitt reports. 17-year-old Natalie Lee, 42-year-old Elaine To and her husband Tong Wai Hong, he's 39, were arrested in a dead-end alley connected to Defo Road West, where anti-government protesters had clashed with police on July the 28th last year. The prosecution accused them of rioting as well as an alternative charge of illegal assembly. But District Court Judge Anthony Kwok said the prosecution had failed to prove that the couple were actually present during the clashes and Miss Lee could have just been an onlooker. The judge said the trio's attire and actions on that day were very suspicious. But he said the court couldn't just deduce that they were up to no good because they had black clothes on, even if some in society now deemed the color to be associated with rioters. He said the couple might have been in the area as volunteer paramedics, and while the team
teenager had a helmet on and had covered her arms with cling film that could have been for protection rather than for any attack. The judge said he had to adopt long-standing principles, including the presumption of innocence and the rule of lenity in coming to his not-guilty verdicts. The couple were, however, convicted of possessing walkie-talkies without a license and were fined $10,000 each. While the defendants broke into tears and their supporters started clapping in the courtroom, outside the crowd chanted, no rioters, only tyranny. Police say they've arrested four people in connection with an attack on the owner of a pro-democracy restaurant in Yulong last night. It was the second time in a month that the owner of the Jade restaurant was targeted. Police say they're still trying to work out what the motive was, but it could be related to a debt. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past 11. China has ordered the United States to close its consulate in the city of Chengdu just days after the American government ordered the Chinese consulate in Houston to be shut down. Tit-for-tat moves signal the latest escalation in a growing diplomatic row, with U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo also declaring his country's engagement with Beijing a dismal failure. Anne-Marie Evans asked Professor Willie Lam of the Centre for China Studies at Chinese University why he feels the whole situation is heading. Well, uh, it looks like the um, Sino-U.S. relations will get worse, perhaps much worse, in the run-up to the U.S. election. Actually, um, both the Trump and the Xi Jinping administrations have domestic reasons as well as uh, foreign policy reasons to be so tough and aggressive on each other. Uh, Donald Trump had badly mishandled the uh, coronavirus crisis and bashing China is one of his key uh, election strategies. Uh, For China, Xi is anxious to distract attention from the the sorry state of the economy. And after all, he's a super nationalist. So he is brandishing the, the sort, so to speak, taking aggressive measures against a host of countries and regions, including the South China Sea, India, Taiwan, and then more recently, Hong Kong. So it looks like we won't see any major changes until after the U.S. election, when we have either a new president or when Trump might consider more moderate policies towards China. So really, over the next four months, we can expect a rocky ride based on two men largely using it for their own political gains? Yeah, definitely. The closure of the Houston Chinese consulate was kind of a surprise because um, in uh, diplomatic intercourse, uh, closing down another country's consulate uh, is considered uh, one of the last resorts. There was speculation that the Chinese might overreact and uh, retaliate by closing the the American consulate in Hong Kong and Macau. But uh, fortunately, they have picked on Chengdu, which is, of course, uh, significantly less uh, crucial uh, than Hong Kong and Macau. But it's also the nearest one to Tibet. Right. Chengdu uh, has traditionally been a vantage point, uh, a listening post for uh, the Americans to monitor what's happening in Tibet. So uh, the U.S. has lost a valuable uh, vantage point in this regard. And Trump said the day before yesterday that he did not rule out closing down more uh, Chinese consulates in the U.S. Uh, If that were to happen, then this all-out Cold War uh, would be further exacerbated. Why did the U.S. order the Houston consulate to close? 
Well, the official reason is that from the Washington's intelligence community's perspective, Houston is one of the headquarters for Chinese spying, hacking and so forth. And uh, if you remember, just a few days ago, the U.S. Uh, officials invited two uh, alleged Chinese hackers. So this is one way of explaining to the U.S. public why uh, Washington has to be so tough on China. Otherwise, the entire country will lose out, affecting the quality of American technology and even uh, causing American jobs to be lost. Police said they've arrested eight people in connection with around 40 burglaries, robberies and thefts that involved $400,000. 34-year-old man has been charged after officers found a large sum of large amount of suspected stolen goods in the Samsoipo hotel room. Seven other people are suspected of handling stolen goods and laundering money. Children's rights groups says many sports groups in Hong Kong still don't have adequate measures to protect children from physical, sexual or psychological abuse by staff. Plan International Hong Kong says while various safeguards are recommended, such as background checks and training for staff, some local associations haven't taken these steps. Dr Kenny Siu, the head of Plan International, told Jimmy Choi that local sports groups could do much better. Overall, implementation of the child signal policy is not prevalent. Say, for instance, 17% of stations, they do not have any of the child signal measures in place. And in regards to procedures, 60% has measures to protect the privacy of the children. But um, they do not have robust mechanism to deal with uh, allegations of complaints on child abuse. So we see, um, though they have intention to do a good job in child safeguarding measures, but mostly the organization do not set in clear procedures and um, measures to really ensure the children are safe. Can you just explain what is child safeguarding policy and why is this so important? Child safeguarding policy actually is a policy for organizations to establish their clear standards and guidelines so as to ensure safety of children in organization. Basically, it's derived from literature review um, from uh, reference from UK, Australia and some uh, international organizations. And why it is so important? Because it is like some safety net. It protects not only the safety of children, but also the reputation of the organization and also its workers. For instance, have we asked um, uh, potential employees to do the sexual conviction check before they um, become the employees? Or after the employee has been recruited, do we have any uh, training to them? And can we openly discuss the child's uh, safeguarding measures or issues in the organization. Do we know how prevalent or serious the problem of sexual harassment is in the sports sector? And are there many unreported cases? Currently, there's no representative study to estimate the extent of this kind of child abuse in Hong Kong or any kind of child abuse in Hong Kong. At the moment, what we can only rely is uh, an administrator's data collected in the Child Protection Registry in the Social Welfare Department. According to this registry's data from January to December 2018, there are about 1,000 cases of child abuses from teachers, tutors and coaches. This data underestimates the true extent of child abuse in the insular sector because victims of abuse may be reluctant to complain due to inadequate organization reporting mechanism. 
as there is no mandatory reporting mechanism in Hong Kong, many sports institutions are under no statutory duty to report uh, child abuse incidents in their station to authorities. So many cases might be swept under the carpet. And do you think that children in general may be more vulnerable to sexual harassment in, in a sports sort of setting than in other places? And I think um, actually sexual abuse or any kind of abuse can take place uh, in many situations, not only in the sports sector. It can be happening in any uh, organization that deals with children. So we cannot conclude that um, sexual abuse cases can be found often in uh, the sports setting. And having said that, we should see child abuse is not only confined to sexual abuse, there's uh, psychological abuse, neglect, physical abuse that we should also take into consideration when we see child protection as a whole. So that's why we say child protection policy is um, a better way to prevent it because it encompasses all kinds of child abuse measures. Sport and the Premier League comes to a close on Sunday. BBC Sports' John Bennett offers his thoughts on how things may pan out at the top and bottom of the table. And so, 11 months after the start of the season, the 2019-2020 campaign finally comes to a close on Sunday and we're in for a thrilling final day. We know that Liverpool are the champions and that Norwich have been relegated, but there's so much else to be decided. It's between three teams to grab the final two qualification places for the Champions League and two of them are playing each other. Manchester United travel to Leicester City knowing that a draw would be enough for them to finish in the top four. Leicester need a win to guarantee their place. Both sides go into the game after poor performances. United lost to Chelsea in the FA Cup and were held to a draw by West Ham. Leicester were thrashed by Tottenham. But United haven't lost in the Premier League since January. Meanwhile, Chelsea will qualify for the Champions League with a draw against Wolves. But if they lose, Leicester and Manchester United could knock them out of the top four if they draw their match. Meanwhile, the real drama could be in the relegation battle. Second from bottom, Bournemouth have to beat Everton to stand a chance of avoiding the drop. Third from bottom, Watford have to better Aston Villa's result. Watford face Arsenal away from home. Aston Villa, just outside the bottom three on goal difference, are away to inform West Ham. Round of our top stories tonight. Elderly people are urged to stay at home as Hong Kong again sees a record high number of new COVID infections. There are calls for stricter rules for ship crews who are currently exempt from quarantine. And a judge clears three people of writing, saying the prosecution only had circumstantial evidence for its case. The news from RTHK. It's time now to good stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. There's been a rebound in the estimated average number of Chinese white dolphins in Hong Kong waters. But a dolphin conservation group is warning that it's too early to suggest the species is on the way to a complete recovery. A government commission report estimates there were 52 Chinese white dolphins in 2019, up from an all-time low of 32 in 2018. Vincent Ho from the Hong Kong Dolphin Conservation Society spoke to Richard Pine about the findings. We need to focus on the trend, on the dolphin's abundance. In the past 20 years, the trend is declining. So there can be a lot of fluctuation between years. So I won't conclude it is a signal of recovery of the dolphin, but we still need to wait for maybe four or five years to look at the overall trend to tell if it is recovering or if it's just some annual fluctuation. Mm. It was interesting that the report mentioned 
dolphins not being spotted in North Lantau and yeah. nearby marine parks. Why do you think that we're not seeing dolphins in these areas that they used to be spotted in? Yeah, in the North Lantau area, especially the two marine parks, the Brothers Marine Park and also the Sha Chao Lung Marine Park, this area had long been identified as the hotspot for dolphins. But in the recent years, the numbers in that two areas is keep declining. I only can tell the impact from the Hong Kong Jihai Macau Bridge, which finished about 2016, but the number of dolphins is still declining. Another reason is after the commencement of the bridge project, then the third runway project kick off. It's also another even larger reclamation area happens in North Lanta area. This is the only possible impact for the dolphins. That makes the decline. The marine parks were supposed to provide sort of a safe environment for dolphins even while this was happening. Do you think maybe we need to rethink our strategies if we're going to protect these species? Uh, definitely. Uh, for example, the Brothers Marine Park is a kind of compensation for the bridge project, but it only has to bridge after the completion of the bridge project in 2016, when there are no more dolphins there. So it's just to fulfill the requirement of the EIA rather than really putting some efforts on the conservation of dolphins. We always think that this kind of measures or compensation, you need to do it at the right time and do it at the right place. So obviously, there are less and less dolphins in Lofthansa waters. Why, why do we still put so many efforts to establish a marine park but protect no dolphins there? Let, let's turn our attention to... Um where more dolphins were, were spotted then in West Lantau, Southwest Lantau, that sort of area. Yeah. Um, the reports mentioned that there was a decrease in the number of ferries. Yeah, from the statistics show that about 20% decrease on the ferries to and from Macau, but we still need to look for more information on that. But apparently there are less high-speed ferries pass through the South Lantau area in 2019 and consider there are no other changes over there so that could be the only possible reason that why there are more dolphins appear in South Lantau waters. Hopefully we can establish another larger marine park to cover the whole South Lantau waters and connect to the West Lantau waters and hopefully this can help the dolphins to live there to let them settle down in that whole piece of good condition of waters. The report also mentioned if they spotted uh, a number of calves, maybe a slight rebound from the year before. How important is that for the future of the species in Hong Kong waters? In 2019, we can see that 2.5% of the total sightings is the young calf. And compared to 2018, they're only 1.5. So there is a slightly rebound. But if you compare to earlier years, like 2010 or so, there are nearly 10% of the sightings is related with the young calf. So 2.5% is still at a very low level. So this still causes a very, very sub future for the population. If the situation is still 
this low level, I can't foresee that there are a real recovery for the whole dolphin population. The International Monetary Fund has given a stern warning to governments around the world that they need to take action and fast to limit the economic damage to women caused by COVID. The IMS leaders say the pandemic threatens to roll back gains in women's economic opportunities and widen the gender gap that persists despite 30 years of progress. The International Monetary Fund's Deputy Director, Dr Cheng Hun Lim, discussed the concerns with the BBC's Bola Mosuro. You know, we have made significant gains in reducing gender disparities over the past 50 years. But it, in recent decades, that changed, um, that progress has slowed and on some indicators stalled entirely. So when you look around the world, uh, you will see that gender disparities uh, remain, still remain economically significant. Given this situation, the, the unique nature of the pandemic um, threatens to slow the progress toward equality even more. Women are more likely than men to work in sectors that have been hit hardest by the pandemic. These are the services, industries, retail, tourism, hospitality, businesses. All these require face-to-face -face interactions. Unemployment will rise in these sectors. The IMF is projecting an increase in the unemployment rate for most countries um, in the world. I also wonder whether it doesn't really matter whether you're working in a high income group and have been more likely to work from home during this pandemic, or is that affected because a lot of women may also be mothers and have had a problem juggling during this period? I think in the blog, we actually put some statistics out there about teleworking. Not all you know, people have access to digital infrastructure in the first place, particularly in uh, low-income countries. Even in, in advanced economies like in the U.S., 54% of women working in these social sectors cannot telework. And in Brazil, uh, it's a developing country, 67%. Compounding the situation, as you said, is the fact that the pandemic has increased the workload or the household chores at the very least, another two hours more to about six to seven hours uh, of unpaid work that women will do because of the pandemic. And that's when we're even talking about the middle to high income women, some of them that you mentioned who, you know, may have even had high powered jobs before the pandemic, but now have had problems. Um, you know, even if they could afford childcare, they couldn't, you know, employ those who are in that sector because of the pandemic. If we then look at the lower end of the scale, especially in the low income countries, I wonder how that's also negatively affected women who, let's say, in parts of Africa who have worked in the informal sector, perhaps in the market. The pandemic is very damaging to the livelihoods of women in low-income and developing countries, particularly so for those that have worked in the informal sector, the informal economies. Um, they have lower pay, they have no protection, in terms of labor laws, they have no pension, no unemployment benefits. You had a case study, if you like, or some a parallel from Liberia and Guinea when those two countries went through the Ebola pandemic. Were there any lessons that you learned from how women were affected there that might actually inform you as to what can be done now in order to prevent as many women from being affected ne negatively? I think uh, it's important that governments provide cash transfers to 
women who are affected by the pandemic, girls in particular are more likely to drop out uh, of school in order to supplement the household income. Because what we find, as you mentioned in the case of Liberia um, and Guinea, is that when you drop out, they never come back. New rules have come into force in England on wearing face coverings in most enclosed public spaces. People who refuse to comply face fine of over a hundred US dollars. Here's the BBC's Rob Watson. Critics say there are inconsistencies to the rules and question exactly who will enforce them and how. But the government hopes and believes people will stick to the new regulations as a way of keeping infection rates down as the opening up of the economy continues. Certainly, Britain has seen a radical change in attitudes to the use of face masks. At the start of the pandemic, health officials, politicians and the public were highly sceptical. Four months on, there is overwhelming support for their use. A political conspiracy theory is surging in popularity in the United States as the pandemic rips through the country. QAnon followers believe President Trump was sent to save the world from a secret cabal of paedophiles who run the US. Twitter announced this week that it will police QAnon, banning 7,000 accounts. BBC's Stephanie Hegarty finds out why such a bizarre theory has gained so much traction. Where we go one, we go all. Where we go one, we go all. Over the past few weeks, thousands of people have been posting online pledging allegiance to QAnon. A bizarre conspiracy theory that has soared in popularity since the pandemic. Where we go one, we go all. Where we go one, we go all. Not only do followers believe that a cabal of paedophiles run the United States, controlling the media, Hollywood and politicians, some believe this cabal are farming children for youth serum. They spend hours and hours a day researching the conspiracy online. And many of them say that the only person that can stop the cabal is Donald Trump. It started in 2017 when someone calling themselves Q started posting cryptic messages online. Fake news, fake press, ghost writers... Musician Nick Natoli is one of the few QAnon followers who agreed to speak to us. On the other end of a Skype call, he's sitting in front of a wall hanging of the Statue of Liberty on a big American flag. This is the pentagram. This is the symbol for Hollywood. And that is the all-seeing eye. It's a very faded tattoo. i got to get it touched up. He shows me his tattoos of the Hollywood sign on one arm and JFK on the other. I've only been actively posting, I'd say, for the past couple of months. But the response that I've gotten is insane. I mean, people are online looking for this stuff right now. The Institute for Strategic Dialogue, an organization that studies extremism, showed us exclusive research that looked at the use of hashtags specific to QAnon on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. As the pandemic hit the US in March, there's a clear spike of activity on all three platforms, especially on Facebook. Looking at 109 of the main public QAnon accounts, they found membership rose by 700% in four months. There's also been a spike in the UK, Germany and Brazil. Eva Gallagher worked on that research. People were looking for that for an answer as to why everything was happening. People were also locked down in their homes. They were, you know, stuck to their computers, stuck to their phones all day. So they had more exposure to this kind of thing online. You're an organization that covers extremism. So why are you studying QAnon? QAnon was, was labeled a domestic terror threat by the FBI last year. 
Um, it was born on platforms that are really associated with white supremacist movements, with far-right extremism. And although you can't really label Q followers as that, the conspiracy is tangential to the, that side of extremism. It takes on anti-Semitic tropes. It really kind of targets the same people as far-right extremists as well. Followers hold some disturbing views on the events of the past few months. I asked Nick Natoli about that. What do you think of the pandemic? I think it's a hoax. I think that the, the rumor on the street is that President Trump is trying to get all these people to go to jail for pedophilia, child sacrifice, and that the deep state has control of the media and put out this story to try to save their I told my girlfriend, I said, if there's a virus, if there's a pandemic, we're going to hear some We didn't hear nothing. But what if it is real and uh, you're not taking it seriously enough? Do you worry about that? You know, I don't want anyone to get sick because they went outside without a mask because of me. So I always want to stay researched. Another site that's seen a huge surge in popularity recently is a page on the forum Reddit where people are coming to post about family members that they feel have been sucked into the QAnon conspiracy. A lot of their relatives are older, parents or even grandparents. I mean, we used to talk every day. Now she has no interaction with my daughter at all. She's going deeper and deeper in. And they find it especially disturbing that their family members aren't taking the pandemic seriously. My father is a cancer survivor and he's immunocompromised. This is putting his life at risk if he starts to believe these things too. She's 81 and she's, she's not wearing a mask. She's not social distancing in any way. It's hard to know the real impact that QAnon will have on the elections in November. But at least 14 QAnon followers are likely to be on the ballot. This story is part of the news app programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. And we'll have more news headlines, remember, at midnight. From uh, 
4 and uh, Manfred Mann, uh, 5 4 3 2 1. Manfred Mann, English rock band from London. Going back in time right now and uh, nowhere to run, 1965, Martha and the Vandellas. Frank Sinatra getting together with Tony Bennett from his album Duets. Start spreading the news You're leaving today Tell him, Frank. I want to be a part of it. New York, New York. 